Hello, everybody. It's He Yang. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge: Rising Stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable. I'm Lai Ming, joined by Niu Hongling and Brandon Yates. Coming up, about one percent of Chinese people possess the necessary know-how to give effective first aid. A few regional authorities have gone to the length of including first aid as an optional test item in high school entrance examinations. Should students be given credit for their abilities to potentially save lives when the situation calls for it? And on a more casual topic of discussion, would you believe that gossiping against a common friend or coworker is a path to stronger friendship? We will examine the findings by a researcher at University of South Florida to test the age-old saying, "The enemy of my enemy is my friend." Have you ever complained about a classmate, friend, or coworker with someone, and then brought your friendship to a whole new level? Let us know what you think about our discussion. Simply write down your thoughts in an email to azfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Perhaps you'll hear them on the show. Now let's talk about first aid and how to help everybody master skills. The first thing to know about first aid and the current state of development in China is the urgency. About one percent of the population have mastered first aid skills. This is a stark contrast to some developed countries.、Uh, Brendan, where you come from? South Africa. But I must say, I was very surprised to hear that only one percent of of China had、uh, training in terms of first aid. We、that's, have one point four billion people, so one percent、yeah. would be fifteen、uh, million, and that's enough to. <laughs> but it's still, but it still, it just seems it, it still seems pretty remarkably low in terms yeah, of percentages. Enough, yeah, I, yeah, I thought it would be much for, higher. It's not enough for us, but it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's definitely、uh, I think that's definitely something that can be can be worked on for sure.、Um, I'm glad that we are talking about it now because that does seem to be、um, a very critical issue. Yeah, we are talking about it because actually a lot of different places, a lot of different schools are trying really hard to、Good. include it into their curriculums.、Uh, actually, Henan Province has announced the sports examination subjects for 2024 high school entrance exam,、um, and among them, we have Zhengzhou City includes practical CPR operations and swimming as optional objects in the sports exam, meaning that if you want to, you can take these exams and include the scores into your high. School entrance examination scores in total. I don't know if that's the best approach, though, to make it something that is tested. You know, well, I think it's optional. It's yeah, but I mean, but don't you think it would be easier for, like, you know, for example, during physical examination lessons, just saying, "Hey, guys, today we're going to teach you about."、Um, Uh, We do have that、aid. as well. Okay, Actually,、good. in 2019, China's Ministry of Education has required public schools to teach CPR and first aid、Brilliant. as part of the health education. The goal is to prepare students for emergencies and address the public's lack of knowledge to help during a first aid emergency. That's probably the most effective way to get those. 
percentage numbers up is just to kind of make it teachable subject in, you know, primary and high schools. And then, you know, if that happens nationwide, those uh, that percentage should surely increase uh, pretty rapidly. Well, I'm only guessing, but I think the reason why Henan province is including more of the CPR and first aid knowledge into PE classes and teachable courses is to give people more incentives to learn about this knowledge. Yeah, in a way. Would, that wouldn't yeah. work in South Africa. <laughs> like, from, from where I'm from, if, if something is going to be examinable or something that's going to be tested, then people would rather push that to the side and say, well, I don't want to have the extra stress of studying something else. But if it's something that was brought up in a lesson, they're probably more likely to focus. But I guess it's just different mindsets. Yeah, and I, I love tests. Like, so. like yeah. If I were a kid that's really poor at running or jumping, then uh, if I get a chance to get tested on saving lives, then potentially I would choose that. I, yeah, I suppose if it's, an, if it's an option, as opposed to like saying, look, instead of doing athletic events, you can focus on, you know... Um, saving lives. Saving lives. Um, <laughs> I suppose that's a good alternative for people that don't necessarily like athletic events. Mm-hmm. And also what's interesting as well is that the Ministry of Education has just announced the second batch of 1,000 national first aid education pilot schools for a two-year period. Basically, uh, for example, all these schools are in different stage. The preschools, for example, would introduce basic first aid knowledge, cultivate safety and health awareness to kids. And for the compulsory education period, they would familiar students with fundamental first aid knowledge, enhance life safety and emergency rescue awareness. Mm. As for the high school education, they would equip students with emergency rescue knowledge and skills, foster self-help, mutual aid and self-protection abilities, teach you to how to wrap your wounds, how to give CPR and first aid, all these different kinds of skills are included in these pilot schools so that kids would be able to learn to help each other, help themselves through the entire stage of their education. Mm. Hopefully teachers are taking notes too because yes, you know, of course. They, they'll also be dealing with, um, I'm sure, plenty of those kind of like choking hazards and that kind of thing, particularly with you know uh, very young children. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we do have a tier system trying to let students know what to do in different situations. We're not really demanding primary school students to be able to save lives, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> Brandon, uh, where you come from in South Africa, what is your practice? Is it a part of your curriculum to receive first aid training? If I recall correctly, in some physical education lessons, we kind of had basic training in terms of CPR. It didn't really go much further than that. But if, for example, myself, I uh, took lifesaving as an extracurricular activity at high school, and a huge part of that training is, um, you know, first aid training. Um, But that was, I think there were only 10 or 15 of us that were lifeguards from my school. So only 10 or 15 of us received relatively extensive training whereas the rest of the school had pretty basic training so i think we're also facing a similar problem in south africa where particularly the younger generations are not being taught on how to um, handle emergency medical situations um, if you know doctors and hospitals aren't immediately available Um, so i think that's something that also needs to be um, addressed in south africa Mm -hmm. but the curriculums that you have signed up for has it been effective I would say so, yeah. But but again, we weren't. It's a it's a different mentality. So, um, taking on life saving as an extra, extracurricular activity did help our you know overall uh, mark in terms of the end of the year, um, and kind of boosted your applications to university, I suppose. But if it was tested on a regular basis, or if it was examinable, you probably find that people would avoid it because, you know, most of the focus on in terms of studying at high school for high school kids in South Africa would be on subjects that would get them 
into specific university degrees. So, you know, people would focus on like maths and English and economics and that kind of thing. Um, but if there were like extra subjects that they would take on that would require more studying and more testing, you'd probably find that students would avoid them because they don't want the extra hassle. So were the courses challenging for students at their age? The the um, the first aid training. First aid training, right? No, not particularly. Um, it definitely required some uh, concentration and you know um, taking it seriously, but it didn't necessarily. Um, it it wasn't particularly challenging because it was a part of what we signed up for. So we knew that it was something that we we would need to focus on. So we kind of knew that it would be something important before we took it on. So it wasn't a, a surprise when it uh, came to us learning that. But it, again. It was such a small number of students that that took that on, um, whereas the rest of the school kind of had very basic CPR training, maybe one or two lessons the whole year. Yeah, actually, I heard from a doctor that a CPR session can be completed in anything from 45 minutes to two hours, depending on what's yeah. included. So and it can be split up into like one or two lessons and then that's it. Yeah, yeah, and basic first aid sessions can be completed in short sessions from as little as 30 minutes, which don't cost too much. Was that the case for you? Pretty much, yeah. So it's actually not that big a deal when it comes to time and energy and whatever. I mean, you, it's not like you're going to invest so much yeah but again i think that's the very basic training sure I think it can really be extended and you know can be examined and it can become something that almost becomes a subject on its own along with your other school subjects so i guess it depends on how much training we need um these kids to have but like you said the very basic level um, can be done in a very short space of time. Yeah, and once one is received enough basic level training, they can determine whether or not they want to continue. Yeah. Because I know some guy from my home province, Shanxi province, he's really into the saving people's life kind of training thing. And he learned all different kinds of skills by himself. And he started to take part into the voluntary activities to be a part of the rescue team in local rescue teams. And it worked quite well for him. Yeah. And and he started to be this, you know, role model for many people and inspired a lot of young kids to learn CPR and first aid skills to also become volunteers in saving lives. So mm -hmm. I think that's where the best approach is, is to introduce it as something that's important, but not make it scary in terms of like, this is something you need to study. This is something you need to pass. This is something critical to your education. You know, just kind of say, hey, look, we're here to teach you guys on how to save lives, on how to protect yourselves, and then give every student the basic knowledge of how to protect themselves and protect others. And then if people want to take that further, at least they will have that option. But I don't think it's best to introduce it as something compulsory in terms of extensive training. But I think basic training can be introduced to all. I'm not really sure if I'm with you. What do you mean? From a Chinese perspective, <laughs> sometimes compulsory education is just something no, I enjoy. No, I agree. But I'm talking about extensive training. Like, uh, you know, what? Sure. If, if it's something that I'm interested in, then I will pursue it further beyond the introductory level. But I think if you int introduce it as a forced subject that you need to do every single day and you need to become like this expert CPR, you know, uh, trained person, I don't think that's the best approach because then people feel like they have to do it. Whereas if it's something that's basic training that you know will benefit your lives and the people around you just to have that basic training, that's great. And then if it's something that inspires you and motivates you and you want to learn more about it, then you can create avenues for those students to pursue that further. Yes, this sounds more like uh, demands for somebody who is pursuing uh, medical studies. Yeah. 
Again, I'm trying to assess why is it so hard, or what are the challenges the Chinese people are facing now that we only stand at around one percent of the population who possess the necessary know-how. And both of you have explained it quite clearly that there is no. Not significant challenge in the content of the courses. I mean, you can start out、uh, with something that's really preliminary, and then, and then、uh, choose to go deeper in your studies. But、mm. again, it's not rocket science. Anybody、yeah. will be able to possess it at the appropriate age. Then I suppose the challenge then lies in the magnitude or the the shortage of、um, of staff that are able to give that lecture. I think the biggest, yeah. So that's the biggest issue is kind of taking the simple training. Of、um, first aid and expanding it to such a massive population,、um, and not just the youth, the elderly as well. You know, and, and all age groups. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Like you said, is just finding enough people that are going to be able to raise those levels of trained people across the entire nation. I think、um, just ex- make、uh, the expansion and the the scale. I think that's going to be something that could be the biggest challenge, not necessarily the actual content itself. Yeah, and also like Brandon has mentioned about lack of hardware in your school in、mm. your training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing here in China. We might not have enough. When we say enough, it's like again the massive amount, the massive scale of equipment of、um, qualified staff to、mm. spread the information, and, and that has to start from somewhere. And the actual equipment as well, just basic CPR equipment. I think is in an ideal world, every building should have, should have it. But、yeah. I mean, if in a country like China, where there's billions of people and billions of buildings, I mean, to to figure out a, a rollout system. To make sure that every building has this equipment and these facilities is probably a massive, you know, challenge just in terms of making it happen, and also a financial challenge. And you、I、should、guess. also check them and replace them to new、yeah. ones regularly. Maintenance and stuff, quite important and hard to achieve as well. It was in only in recent years that we have been able to install AED devices in,、mm. in uh, subways in downtown、yes. Beijing. So that's. Uh, a mission in progress, as we talk about it, and and again,、uh, the issue of how do we arrange、uh, our priorities? And、uh, for the moment, the authorities, or regional authorities, or regional Red Cross societies, are working on training people who should possess this knowledge, like nurses,、mm. firefighters, emergency rescuers, that kind of thing. And it's perhaps going to be a while before the general public gets to get the chance to really be exposed to that knowledge. The good news. Is more and more people are volunteering to sign up for these trainings, and uh, uh, the percentage is really、uh, increasing. Oh yes, actually, take Tianjin for example. The city Tianjin trained nearly thirty thousand people in the first half of this year, with an annual growth of over twenty percent. And summer vacation sees a surge in emergency first aid training as well, with a twenty percent increase in enrollment. And notably, more than thirty percent of training participants voluntarily enrolled in recent years. Like Lai Ming has mentioned, in the city of Tianjin, as for Gansu Province, in 2022, the province conducted widespread emergency first aid training for nearly 300,000 people. The number of trained first aid workers improved to 50,200. As for Sichuan Province, the local government provided general training for 976,000 individuals and trained 130,000 certified first aid workers. 
So local governments are trying really hard to improve the level of training and to improve the publication of such、mm. knowledge as well.、That's、and、great. also, the Healthy China 2030 Action Plan aims to have three percent of Chinese citizens certified in CPR training by 2030. That is about 40 million people. Really, a lot of people. So again,、uh, we have a late start in getting people really acquainted with the first aid know-how. But then,、uh, given the population that we have, I mean, if we can somehow leverage the amount of people who、uh, have received the training, and then perhaps the number will snowball.、Mm. I must say that's something that I mean, you know, like like you've already mentioned, I'm quite new in China, but that's something that I've kind of noticed early on is that when the government and the population as a whole figures out that there's something lacking. And they place a lot of emphasis and focus on that. Generally, those numbers increase very quickly.、Um, so hopefully,、um, <laughs> uh, CPR training and that kind of thing becomes one of those、um, hot topics that、uh, becomes a nationwide、um, focus. And then I think the the, the gap will be、um, filled pretty quickly.、Mm-hmm. Before we move on, Brandon, I'd like to ask you that question since you've received the training.、Mm. Um, sadly, we years ago. Other, <laughs> it's like fifteen years ago. <laughs> so first, don't test me. <laughs> what's the first thing? I mean, what's the first thing you would like people to know about first aid? Oh,、um, I think just basic CPR training is probably the most critical.、Um, generally, I think emergencies that need to be dealt with immediately generally have to do with、um, you know having something stuck in somebody's throat or you know someone's heart stopping.、Right. So I think just having basic CPR training、um, that you can do、uh, um, on somebody that's you know having、um, heart issues or breathing issues. I think that's probably the most critical. Area to start because that normally requires instant action. Where if someone is not assisted within seconds, they could potentially lose their lives. Whereas in comparison, if you were able to exercise CPR at the right, for instance, within one minute, you were able to. Very likely to save the guy that's going through that.、Uh, yeah,、distress. and probably also figuring out how to stop bleeding as well.、Um, if someone you know has some sort of wound where、um, you know、uh, where they're losing a lot of blood very rapidly,、um, you know, knowing how to prevent. The consistent loss of blood before you know、uh, medical emergency teams arrive. I think that's also a critical thing to learn. This is really a very important topic because there are as many as five hundred and fifty thousand sudden cardiac deaths in China every year, meaning one person dies per minute due to cardiac arrest.、Yeah. About sixty percent of these deaths occur outside of hospitals, and the survival rate of patients who received CPR outside hospital is less than four point five percent here in China. And the thing is, I believe most passerbys. Won't give CPR because they're either scared of getting involved a little bit because they're not professionals. If you think someone's life is in your hand, it's just something really scary. Or they are scared that they will not perform CPR correctly.、Mm. But actually, even someone with no training is better than no CPR at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. So go accept the training, but before you have time to do that, if There is a certain accident happen right in front of your eyes. Go help. Your help is really just better than no help at all. Even if you ap- have absolutely zero training, if you do see a medical emergency happening in front of you, please do something to help that person instantly. So you can either try and communicate with them in some way. Or look at your phone and try and quickly,、um, you know, determine what to do in an emergency situation. So if someone's grabbing their chest or grabbing their throat, it kind of gives you an indication of what they're struggling with.、Right. And if someone's bleeding, it's obvious what what they're struggling with.、Um, so there are.、Um, I would always say don't avoid those situations. Even, you know, it's it's highly unlikely that you would make a situation worse. So I think whenever you see somebody that's really having a medical emergency, don't just walk by. 
you know, do something to help, whether it be yourself doing something or calling somebody mm. or researching something before, you know, interacting with that person. Just try and do something. Mm. You can't just avoid and ignore those situations because chances are you can probably save somebody's life even if you aren't trained. Mm -hmm. So before everybody has the chance to attend a 30-minute session knowing how to do CPR, it works. It, it is effective to simply raise people's awareness and their confidence in giving that uh, help that people need when they are in distress. You're listening to Roundtable. Up next, will friendship grow fonder between two people who gossip against a third party? Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. Welcome back to Roundtable on the last casual topic. An enemy of my enemy is my friend. Is there any truth in this? Some scientists at the University of South Florida did a research into this, and, and, and according to their findings, there's there is some truth in this. Oh, totally. They believe sharing a negative as compared to a positive attitude about a third party is partially effective in promoting closeness between people.、Uh, what they did is to find 120 participants to list their most intimate friend's name and answer questions. About their shared likes and dislikes when they first meet, and it turns out that the dislikes are more important than the likes,、That's、even、terrible. though. Even though the 120 <laughs> people didn't realize that, and also they have expanded the study on their three most close friends, and questions shifted to describe current shared attitudes rather than those at the initial meeting, and、uh, main findings remained consistent. So basically, negative but slightly negative attitudes towards a person or a certain thing would give you the bond you need with another friend. So、in、awful. other words, yeah. In <laughs> other words, if you like baseball, I like baseball. We're likely to be acquaintances.、But、yeah. If you hate Rachel and I hate Rachel, <laughs> <laughs> we can be best buddies. I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, look, it is toxic, I think, but I kind of understand why that would create a closer bond between people because I think people are less likely to make the public aware of their dislikes、um, as opposed to the things that they like. So I think negativity towards Other people or other subjects is generally something that people keep to themselves.、Um, whereas if they love tennis or love football or love that person, they'll kind of share that information with the、right. whole world because it's positive news. Whereas you generally share negative opinions about certain subjects or people with someone that you trust, I guess. So I, I see why that would create a close bond with another person, but you also have to hope that that's not the only thing that's keeping those people close. <laughs> no, of course not.、Yeah. And the thing is,、um, according to the research, the attitude should be relatively light, not strong hate towards someone <laughs> or towards something.、Yeah. It's more like. Uh, innocent, not so harmful, negative gossips about、yeah. a certain celebrity. You don't like this person's nose, or don't like their personality,、yeah. and by sharing that, you feel like you have something similar. And like Brenda、yeah. has just said, there's a certain level of trust that you would have for you to be able、mm. to discuss something negative. Yeah, I was telling a friend earlier how much I hate you guys, and we're very,、Aww. we're very close.、So. I'm glad we <laughs> helped you bond with someone else. Aww, it's how we bond. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. What would be the right course of action, knowing what we know right now about people's inclination to do things under different situations? For instance, would somebody just walk away and try to make some friends by bad mouthing a coworker <laughs> or a friend? Definitely not, not a not great smart, approach. Right? No, I think yeah, it's 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 quite difficult. I suppose there is a positive element to it that you can apply so maybe share something maybe positive about somebody that you don't necessarily want to make public but it's a yeah it's a tricky thing because i think no matter what it is if it's something that's negative it's not necessarily something that's going to be great for everybody that's involved it might bring two people closer but you know i don't think it's gonna have a great impact on um, a certain environment's positive outlook Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can definitely share some harmless negative information about a book that you don't quite like, yeah. or a movie that you think is very enjoyable, but there's certain character that you do not like. These can be okay. And also, I think at the end of the day, it's because you sharing some negative information about the third party, or sometimes even about yourself, is the shown of vulnerability to a certain extent. You are sharing something that you would not necessarily share with others with this person right in front of you so trust is constructed yeah hopefully i think it work one good way to approach that is maybe sharing your ambitions with somebody that's close to you that you don't necessarily want to make public so i would love to one day be the producer of this show or you know i really (laughs) hope that i can become you know the new presenter on this show or whatever i think that's a way of sharing personal information that you don't necessarily want everybody to know, but it's positive. Because I think it's quite difficult to think like, oh, the only way that I can make close friendships is by sharing negative information. People Uh, don't think about that. People just do that unintentionally. It might might be, with with that in mind, there there might be a way to reshape that into a positive mindset. Mm. Um, I don't think it's necessary. Like, I think it is kind of instinctive to share negative information on a private scale but if you are aware that you are only doing that with negative information and you're aware that you're doing that there might be a way to rethink that and you know share positive information that is not necessarily public with close friends and that could also be a way to establish closer friendships but with positive mindsets as opposed to negativity one last point before we call it a day mm. that is i wonder whether this theory applies to let's say relationship between nations i mean it's, in ancient history there there it's not like there hasn't been cases of politicians or, or uh, rulers trying to set up an enemy imaginary enemy uh, for the sake of calming internal turbulences so Knowing what we know about human nature in this regard, I mean, what is the right course of action for, let's say, citizens of certain nations if they wonder whether they are getting the whole truth, nothing but the truth, from media and their their politicians? That is a very hard thing, and I think it affects different countries differently. Um, For example, when I think of the United States, I I think they're in a unique position where their news media is kind of determined by the opinions of their viewers. Right. So people that are linked to a certain party or a certain politics tend to watch certain news channels. It is. And they probably get, I suppose they all get news, but a lot of the news is framed by their politics. So that's something that I think people need to be aware of, particularly if they're not looking to just get information that they want to hear. But it's very hard to find nowadays, I think in any country, information that is completely unbiased. It's a challenge for sure. I think the best way is to absorb as much information from a variety of um you know, sources, and then determine what your opinion is of that news on your own. 
And in the meantime, I think we're all biased. Absolutely. Remember that and use that to remind yourself a little bit. Might help. Also, I think bad news is generally more impressionable and more. Attractive than good news, and that's the nature of human being. As long as we know that, but even that's biased because sometimes terrible news can be great for one person and <laughs> terrible for another person. That's true too.、Know? Yes. So being able to know these about ourselves actually helps a little bit as well. For sure. I guess that's the merit of having psychologists and scholars studying into these things. There we go. That's all the time we have for today's discussion. Thank you for listening. If you haven't heard enough, remember you can find us at Roundtable China on any. Major podcast platform. Thank you.